Right. So we do continue in Mark in chapter 3 in verse 13. Let us give our attention to God's infinitely helpful word. And he went up, being Jesus, on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also called apostles, so they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Baranerges, and that is the sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand and is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he can plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men but whatever and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will, of the, God, the will of God. He is my brother and sister and mother. That completes our reading of God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you intend to do this morning. Lord, I humbly submit myself that I may be a part of that. I want you to work in my life and in their lives using this text. Uh, Your word always accomplishes what you desire. Please fulfill that promise this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So kids, do you know what a green screen is? You know what that is in movies? Right? The weatherman also uses it, right? But in movies, I don't know if you've ever seen behind the scenes footage, adults too, right? It's pretty cool what they can do now, right? They'll have all kind of stuff in green and then they'll CGI it over there with the computer. They'll add in all kind of stuff. Right? And so when you watch a movie, you're seeing like this much, right? And there's all this other stuff going on. There's cables and there's machines and there's computer-generated stuff and there's green screens, right? Isn't that true? Right? Is our world like that? Is our world like that? Is our world such that you only see this much of it? And there's actually a whole lot more going on. The answer is yes. It's called the spiritual realm. Right? And that's what we're looking at this morning. Jesus gives us insight into it in this text. You know, there's this great story. Have you guys heard this, kids, have you heard this Bible story? All right, it's in the Old Testament. Elisha, he's a prophet. All right, the king of Syria hates him, and he wants to kill him. 
So he sends his big army and he surrounds the whole city that Elisha's in. All right, so you imagine that. Guy in a little city, big army around him with chariots and horses. And Elisha's servant is terrified, right? During the night, they've surrounded him. He looks out and he says, we're in trouble. Right? But Elisha, he's cool as a cucumber. He comes out and he says, no, no, it's all right. The, he, those who are with us are greater than with them. The servant's like, uh, I don't get that. I see a whole lot of guys and only a few of us. You know what he does next? Elisha prays and he says, open the eyes of this servant. And he does. And all of a sudden, what the servant sees is this host of angels with fiery chariots surrounding the city between them and the Syrians. Wouldn't that be awesome to see? Like we'd have to use CGI to pull that off now, right? But it was real. That's what happened. You see, there was a whole other realm that was going on that they didn't see. Well, let's look. So look at page 7. You're going to see how we're going to see it in this text. Um, You see, we're answering the question, how can the reality of the spiritual realm provide us great courage and encouragement? Three answers. See there. First, Jesus called you to be with him. Second, Jesus bound the strong man. And third, Jesus gave you a new family. Let's look at that first one. Jesus called you to be with him. Look again at verse 13. All right, he goes up on the mountain, and he calls to him those whom he desired. So Jesus is doing the calling, and they respond, and they came to him, right? These are, it says there, the 12 apostles. That number is important. What do you know in the Old Testament that was significant? Use the number 12. It's not 12 inches in a foot. The 12 tribes of Israel, right? So the whole Old Testament is structured around the people of God are divided into 12 different families, right? The different um, tribes of Israel, right? And so now Jesus comes and he's bringing in the new part of, of the people of God, right? And so what does he do? But he appoints 12 leaders, 12 apostles. That's significant. So you see this carryover that now Israel's being transformed. Now it includes a, a bunch of crazy folks like us from America and all over the world, right? They're now, there are more people that aren't Jews now in the, in the nation or in the people of God than there were originally, right? They're, they're, now it's mostly Gentiles and a few Jews. Okay. You get the idea. All right. So Jesus calls, but um, that word apostles, I mean, it's from the Greek word to send. Okay, so this is, what he means is they're like sent ones. They're his emissaries. They're his representatives to the people, right? So they will be his leaders. Okay, so that's what apostles mean. You're used to calling them the 12 disciples. So we use that interchangeable. When we say disciple and apostle, we're meaning the same thing. But that's, disciple can actually be used more broadly. And these are apostles. Okay, that's who they are. What you have here in these seven words where he says, so that they might be with him. Do you see that in verse 13? So they might be with him. This is a summary of Jesus' whole philosophy of ministry. His whole philosophy. He's here. He's got three years. Right? We've been here three years. Right? He only had three years. And he was going to set up the church that would then reach the rest of the world. That's kind of a little bit of pressure, right? You got a three, you got one shot. No plan B. He's not coming back anytime soon, right? Three years. What does he do? He chooses 12 guys, and he spends a lot of time with them. How much time do you think he spends with them? Like all the time, almost 24-7. They're traveling together. They're just around Jesus. They see everything, okay? This also is one of our core values as a church, discipleship and real friendships, right? This was his method. Right? And so we, think, we see this not just with Jesus, we see it in the early church, that he poured into people. Very significant. Do you notice the last name? Who's the last guy in the list? Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
So you mean God chooses, ordains 12 guys for Jesus to choose, and one of them is an enemy. That is odd. It is. I mean, if you're going to only get 12 guys, if you pick 12 guys for your team, you aren't going to pick one guy that hates you, right? And it's going to turn on you. But God ordains this. Interesting, huh? It introduces an important concept. I mean, if you're the term a visible and invisible church, hear those terms, let me explain it. You guys are the visible church, right? You take all the members of all the churches in the world through all of time, and that's the visible church. I see you, you see me, right? We're visible. The invisible church is that those who are really saved. There are people in churches, people who are members of churches who aren't saved at all, right? Isn't that true? I mean, you know people that are in a church and later they say, oh, I never believed that. I was just making it up and they go on, right? And so Judas Iscariot was this. And so understanding that there are, there are wolves within the flock. It's always been this way. Even Jesus, who he, if anyone could have, had, have chosen 12 people and not be surprised by it, it would have been him. But no, even he has it. What do you learn from this? Well, one is, is that there are wolves. There are people, even church leaders, people, members of churches, who hate God, and no one realizes it. So should you be paranoid the rest of your life? Should you always be looking around? No. Trust the good shepherd. Trust Jesus that everything worked out, even for him. Even though it betrayed him, it was all part of the plan, right? God takes care of things. This is, that's an important note to see there. All right, we'll keep going. So back to the eleven. You know, it wouldn't have been cool to be one of them, right? I'd love to spend 24-7 with Jesus, right? To see, does Jesus still call people like this? Why? What benefit is this passage to you? What do you think? What benefit is this to you? Does he still call people? Ephesians 1 says this. Even as he chose us, oh, that's great. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. There's a lot of theology in there that I will not unpack right now. But it's cool. God chose you before the foundation of the world. Well, that's fine. But now that we're Christians, I don't see Jesus anywhere. Concert's over. Elvis has left the building. Right? Why? I wanted to be with Jesus, and he's not here anymore. He left. I missed him by 2,000 years. Even though I'm called, well, how do you get to walk with Jesus? How do you get to sit under his teaching? How do you watch his miracles? You're doing it right this second. Right? As we read the gospel accounts, you're doing that. That's why he gave us four accounts of the gospel, so that we could actually walk with Jesus. But there's something else. When he left, he said, I'm going to send the who? Holy Spirit. And so remember, there's a spiritual realm. There's more than what you see, just like in the movies, right? So outside of what you see, there's a Holy Spirit and his spirit. And even it says that Christ lives in us, John 14 and 15. Right? 14 says he sent the spirit. John 15, right? He says that I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me. So Christ is still spiritually present. He is with you. His Holy Spirit helps you as you read the text that you would get to know Jesus. We encountered this series, Encountering Jesus, right? Because you encounter Jesus as you read the gospel. Our intent is that you would get to know him better through this process. And then also during the week. You know what? You don't have to wait till next Sunday to get this. You probably have a copy. If you don't, take that copy home that we gave you, right? And there's copies over there. Right, and so through the week, right, the, the apostles need it more than once a week. So do you. Spend time with him through your week. It will help you. As your nose is to the grind, as the expression says, that um, you have help. You have Jesus right there. He's with you. Okay, that's important. All right, what else do we got? Secondly, Jesus bound the strong man, our second point. Okay, skip over 20 and 21. We'll come back and look at verse 22. 
the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he's possessed by Beelzebul, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. Man, these guys are rude. Jesus is doing good things, casts out demons, and they're accusing him of being demon-possessed. Unbelievable. Why would they do this? Well, one reason is they hate him. They hate him a lot, right? And so not only do they hate him, but they're jealous, right? In, in the other account of this, if you were looking at Matthew 12, is the other account of the same story, they, they're watching him cast out demons, and they say, people say, could this be the son of David? Which they're saying, could this be the Messiah? Well, you know how the religious leaders feel about this. They're like, uh-uh, that man's possessed by a demon. Kids, have you ever heard the term character assassination? You probably heard the term assassination, right? That's killing somebody. So character assassination is where you kill someone's character, right? You say, well, they're really a bad person. Politicians do this all the time, right? And they, you're attacking their character. This is like the ultimate of that. They're saying, Jesus, you're doing good things, but you're doing it by evil power, right? They hate him. They want to, uh, them, people not to look to Jesus as the Messiah. How does Jesus respond? Look at verse 23 to 26. Jesus is something else. Look what he does. He says, he called them to him. Like they're off like saying this stuff. He's like, come here. So like face to face, he's looking them in the eye. Jesus has got guts. And he says, look what he says right there. He says, can Satan cast out Satan? Is the kingdom divided against itself? That kingdom cannot stand. He's going to say this over and over in just different ways. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan is risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand and is coming to an end. What Jesus is saying here is, you're being ridiculous. The logic of what you're saying makes absolutely no sense at all. Do you see that? What? Satan is casting out Satan by, that doesn't make any sense at all. Right? So it's a logical argument. He's saying, this is ridiculous. This makes no sense at all. That last line is important, and it connects to the next thing he says. He says, but he is coming to an end. Look at 27. Now, see if you can figure out what he's talking about here. If you're in Sunday school, you already have a head start. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds up the strong man. Then, indeed, he can plunder his house. Okay, let's just understand the surface meaning. All right, kids, if somebody walks into a strong man's house to steal his big TV— What's going to happen? He's going to get beat up, right? Strongman's going to punch him. He's going to say, yeah, take my TV, right? Okay, so what does he have to do first? He has to bind up the strong man, and then he can take the TV. Okay, you understand the surface meaning of this? Okay, now what's Jesus saying here? Who is the strong man? Satan. Satan's the strong man, okay? So Satan's a strong man. Who's the one plundering the goods? Good Sunday school answer? Yes, Jesus, very good. Right? Jesus is the one plundering. All right? What he's saying is, is the reason I can cast out demons is because I have already come and bound the strong man. Remember in the um, desert when Jesus faced Satan? Remember that interchange? And they, three times, they went toe-to-toe, and every time Jesus won. Jesus, no human had ever stood up to Satan. He had won every, every time he went into the ring, he won. Since Adam all the way up to this, it's the day of Jesus. Every time he went to the ring, he won. Finally, someone stood up to him and said, no, from Scripture. It could only be Jesus. We've all tried, right? All of us have failed miserably. He went toe-to-toe and he won. And so the strong man was bound. Satan is bound. And so then Jesus goes around casting out demons everywhere, healing people. This is the domain of Satan. Since the time of Adam and Eve, Satan has ruled the earth. 
You read the Old Testament, and you will learn how much he ruled. It is a mess, even among the people of God. Okay, so he's bound the strong man. Hey, kids, you know the story of David and Goliath? Right? So David, little guy. Goliath, is he a big guy? Yeah, right? So you have this huge giant, and he is the representative of the Philistines. Okay, so you have a big army, big giant, and then little guy comes up to him to face him, goes toe-to-toe with him. Cool story, huh? Who is, think about this in this context. Jesus is the son of David. That is a tiny foreshadowing of Jesus and Satan, right? There is this big giant. That giant is defeated, and then now the people of God can go just plunder, right? They went and chased the Philistines. Their defenses were broken. That is the modern missionary movement. For the past 2,000 years, the church has been going forth, has it not? It's reached all the way around the world. There's very few places the gospel is not touched. And as it goes, people are saved. Satan is humiliated. He is a bound, strong man. And it's great. It it's really has big implications, even today. It also tells you who's the hero of the story, right? If you remember that from Sunday school. Who's the hero of the story? Jesus. Are you the hero of the story? No. Jesus. Jesus, are you the great David who's going to face your giants? No. Jesus is. You're the little Israelite behind who after Goliath is defeated, you get to run in and plunder, right? And that's what we're doing. As you talk to your neighbors in Cane Bay, remind yourself, the strong man is bound. Yes, it's hard, but it's not impossible. It once was in India. It was impossible. There was no, the, the Holy Spirit was not moving throughout the earth like it is now. God did save some, but it is nothing like it is now. Okay, we got this other part. Did you see that part about the, the um, unforgivable sin? Well, that's complicated. This is why preachers preach through books of the Bible. I probably wouldn't choose this text if I was just picking a random text. But you need to understand, what is this? Look at it. Let's figure it out. Okay, verse 28. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Pause there. You should be encouraged with verse 28. What this is saying is that all sins can be forgiven. And then he just gives one caveat. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness but is guilty of an eternal sin. People have speculated about all kinds of things. Maybe this is murder. Maybe that's unforgivable sin. Maybe it's suicide. Maybe it's adultery. Maybe all, right? All kind of crazy things. Those are really heinous sins. Well, the problem is David committed two of those. He was forgiven, adultery and murder, right? And there's lots of other sins that people have committed. Maybe it's denying Christ. Well, Peter did that three times. He was restored. So what is the sin? When you're reading your Bible and you aren't really sure what it means, you should probably look at the context. What is surrounding it? It'll help you a lot. All right. So right after he says those words, what does verse 30 30 say? For, that means it's connected to, for they were saying, who's they? The the Pharisees, the scribes, right? He has an unclean spirit. What came right before this, right? They came at Satan harshly, came with him with big words. You are demon-possessed. And Jesus comes back with them and fights fire with fire. And he says, the unforgivable sin is to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Whew, those are fiery words too, huh? What he's saying is, and in the other, if you look at at the Matthew account of this, he actually says, for by the power of the Holy Spirit, I cast out demons. And so then they're saying, no, no, that's not the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of a demon. They're saying, and it's not just, because see, even demon worship is different than this. This isn't just saying Satan is good. This is saying that the, we see something good 
which is Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and that they are saying that that is demonic. There are believers who have questioned, could I have committed the unforgivable sin? Well, the first answer to that is, well, let me explain more of it. It takes such hardness of heart. So think about it. Some people are um, apathetic to the Holy Spirit, right? I don't really care, right? But you, apathy then moves to resisting the Holy Spirit. Ah, I'm starting to understand this, but I'm resisting it. I don't really want the Holy Spirit. Then moves to hatred. Oh, I hate the Holy Spirit. And then it moves to blasphemy. There's a progression there. It's a hardening of one's heart to just start from, ah, I don't really care, and it moves. And so what Jesus is saying is that if for someone to be at the point that they have come through this whole process and their heart is just as hard as a rock, harder than a rock, that they are saying, we, I, am, I believe that God is, that the Holy Spirit is now evil, that that, they'll never repent. Everyone who repents is forgiven. Well, this person will never repent. There's such hardness of heart. Does that make sense? So every sin can be forgiven. He says that. But when someone is this hardened, they'll never repent. They can never be forgiven because they'll never repent because they now believe, they have come through to the epitome of the process that the Holy Spirit is demonic. Does that make sense? Okay, so back to the believer who says, could I have committed this? The first answer is, if you're asking that question, you almost certainly have not, right? That, it's a softness of heart. It's because you have a soft heart that you're asking that question. The only person that could ever do that is so hard, they would never turn to God, they'll never repent, and they'll, they'll never even ask that question. That's the first answer. The second is, is that, if you understand, remember before I said before the foundation of the world, God chose you? If God chooses people before the foundation of the world, he will preserve them, not only after they're saved, but before they're saved. That you will not, that you will not heart become so hard that you would have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Right? So if you believe that Jesus died for your sins and he's your Savior and he wouldn't be your Lord, well then there's no way that that could apply to you. Do you see the logic? If God chose you, he would have preserved you. There's no way you could have committed that sin because your heart could not have been that hard. Not only would you not repent, but God chose you and he could preserve you. You with that logic? Okay. So I just, I want to ease up anyone's conscience that's here asking. But there's still a warning, isn't there? I don't want to blunt the warning. The warning is, is that hardness of heart that just keeps hardening and hardening. It's possible for it to get to a point that it just, it'll never turn and repent. And so what, how are we to respond? Turn to God now, right? How do you, and you will guarantee this is not you. Turn to God. Have a, turn and soften your heart. And it will show this is not true of you. It is strong words, but it is directed at the Pharisees. You always have to look at the context. It was directed at the Pharisees. For they said, he has an unclean spirit. Okay, so we, we've, got, we've got a third point here. In addition to binding the enemy, he gives us a new family. Look at the third one. See, in all of this, God is explaining the spiritual realm, isn't he? He's explaining, hey, I bound the strong man. There's now freedom, there's spiritual freedom. Hey, I'm really with you spiritually in the first one, so now what's the third one? Look at the third one. Jesus gave you a new family. Look back at verse 20 and 21. And when he went home, the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. So here you got the apostles and Jesus healing and helping so many people, they don't even have time to eat. And when his family, now translators will argue, is his family or close friends, either way, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. What a day for Jesus. You got some people saying you're demon-possessed, and you got people close, whether it's family or close friends, saying you're out of your mind. What a day. What a day for Jesus. You know, at C.S. Lewis once, very memorably, uh, said three L's. 
liar. He said Jesus is either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. He said the things Jesus said, you know, some people will say, and I hope you don't say this, if they're asked, who is Jesus to you? He's a good teacher. He's, he was so good. He gave us such good teaching. That's all well and good to you. He is a good teacher. But if you stop there, that is absurd. Right? Anyone that comes to you and says that they're God and says that they can forgive sins and does all these miracles, and you say, well, he's a nice teacher, right? Something's wrong with you, not them, right? Do you see that? There's only three categories. Either he's a liar, either he's, there is no spiritual realm, or he's not it, he's not the Messiah, and what he said is a lie, or he's a lunatic, he's just crazy, or, and that's what the demon said, he's a demon-possessed, or he's Lord. You only have those three choices. You have to decide. You're either going to say he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. May, he, may you pick the third. I highly suggest the third. It is definitely the preferred option. Because God is coming back, and only those will be saved, right? Okay, let's keep going. All right, so that's what they say. Look at, at the end of the passage. His mother and his brothers. Now we definitely know who these folks are. This is Mary and his brothers. <clears throat> the place is so full. They stand outside. They can't even get in. And it, it says the crowd sitting around him. They said to him, so you get the word pass, right? You play telephone, right? So it's like, hey, tell Jesus that we're out here and we want to see him. Right, so that gets passed through the crowd all the way up to Jesus, right? And they say, hey, out there, your mother and brothers, they want to see you, okay? This is awkward, right? This is kind of interesting. Have you ever had like, mom wants to see you? Uh, anyone said this to a sibling, right? Okay, so you're with all your friends, and then they come, your sibling comes to you and says, mom wants to see you. That's just awkward, right? And so this is what they're doing. They're coming to Jesus. Well, your mom and your brothers want to see you. You better get, you better get out there and talk to them. Jesus is having quite a day, isn't he? Look what he says. Verse 33. And he answered them and said, Who are my mother and my brother? See, Jesus never misses a chance to teach. What is he teaching here? And looking about at those who sat around him. Remember, his apostles would be right there closest probably, and then others. He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother, or my brother and my sister and my mother. You know, some of you have great families. Some of you have families that love the Lord. They love you. It's awesome. They're actually like twice over your family, right? They're, they're your um, like earthly family, but then they're also your spiritual family. It's great. You're blessed. Some of you don't have that. Some of you have families who don't love the Lord and make your life kind of difficult. This text should be very encouraging to you. Remember, that's the question we're answering. How does the spiritual realm give you courage and encouragement? It gives you encouragement to know they're not your only family. Jesus is now teaching that you now have another family, and that is believers. When he adopted you and you became a Christian, you now have a new family. You might remember last week we talked about, we're talking about the Lord's Day, and we talked about not cleaning your house, right? We talked about that. Who do you not clean your house for? Who do you let come over, right? Your immediate family. And so this, this is another way that you can believe this text and apply this is let people come into your house and in your messy world, both with your sin and with your kids' toys on the floor, and you just love them and you let them in. God has given you a Christian family. Now, you might be doubly blessed and have a great earthly family, but don't miss out on this gift. One of our goals, remember I said, one of our core values is real friendship. We really want you to know us. And we're not perfect, but we want you to know us and we want to know you. 
And isn't family great? Isn't it great when you have people that you know and you trust? God wants to give this to you. God has created this. You just have to take advantage of it and make use of it. You should share your joys, your fears, your anxieties with your prayer triad. If you don't know what that is, come ask us. We'll tell you about it. With your missional community, we'll start those back up August 30th that week. Join one of those. Get to know people. Begin to share your hearts. Anyone that's in those knows it's a big encouragement to have people that are tracking through life. You might also have an earthly family that's awesome and that's great. Not everyone has that, but everyone, every believer is gifted with a family like this, a spiritual family. Develop deep relationships with them. In conclusion, as I said at the very beginning of the service, imagine if no spiritual realm existed, if it was only this, if all there was was what you saw, how sad it would be. Not only is everything we did this morning ridiculous, but your whole life is just sad and empty. Or even worse, if Satan actually had dominion over everything, it would be terrifying. But he doesn't. He doesn't. The truth in this passage that Jesus really has bound the strong man, he really is bound, is really good news. Remember we talked about that Jesus chose disciples? This is why you need this. Jesus, as you read the Bible, as you sit under preaching week by week, it helps you see and understand that world. That's why he, those 12 disciples did not get it. Most of the time he's saying, you have little faith. You don't get it yet, right? They slowly and finally gave him the Holy Spirit. And then they really got it, right? And so he's given us the Holy Spirit. So we need to make use of these things that be with Jesus in his word and preaching and reading the Bible. <clears throat> really walk out on faith. There's this great story and this will this is, we're almost done. In Pilgrim's Progress, you know that book? Great, great book. Christian, the main character, is walking up to this, um, this lodge. And on either side of the path is two roaring lions. Now, kids, if you saw two roaring lions, like there and there, that'd be terrifying, right? And I'm told I've got to walk between those two lions. Would you do it? Well, the, the innkeeper, the guy at the door, is yelling at Christian, saying, Hey, they're chained. If you walk, they can't reach you. Just walk right through the middle. Wow, that'd take a lot of courage, wouldn't it? Christian did that. Christian walked right through. That was, that's what the Christian life is. Satan has been bound. He is chained. How are you going to prove it? Walk right past him. It says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He is a defeated foe. But unless you walk through between those lions, you will think that he is the great master of this world. And enjoy the family he's given you. As we do this together, as we spend time in each other's homes and in missional communities and praying together, it helps us see this big picture and live in that reality. I want you to live in that reality that we may have courage and encouragement as we go through this life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you opened Elijah's servant's eyes and he saw the fiery chariots. He saw all the angels. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. And Lord, I know part of it comes by walking past roaring lions that are chained, that we cannot see their chains, to prove it true. Lord, give us faith. May we see Satan falling down like lightning in Cain Bay. May we see his kingdom being dismantled, plundered by the gospel, little by little. First in us, Lord. I pray for the people in this room, Lord. They would not believe Jesus to be some, just some good teacher, but rather the Lord of their life, that everything he said is true and right, that he really did die. Help them believe that. Help me believe that and walk in that truth. 
Lord, thank you for the good gifts you've given us beyond the physical world that we cannot see. Lord, help us enjoy them today. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand and sing praise.